Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. For those of you that are visiting with us, there's two things I need to bring out. One is I'm a substitute. So uh, our very gifted minister is on a uh, trip to Costa Rica with uh, 33 or 34 of our other of our members that are doing several things down there. So if you want to hear a really good speaker, come in two weeks or next week? Not two weeks. Well, come. Buck, is here. Buck is here next week. Buck is here, so we'll have a great speaker next week. And then... Uh, Two weeks after that, see him. The second thing is to notice that 35 of our members are down there and keep them in your prayers. Um, I want to thank this young man right here. I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but he has a great shirt on. You should read the back of his shirt. It was an encouragement to me this morning. Uh, It's my hope and my prayer that uh, our message today will be in keeping with God's will and in keeping in God's will for us. And that's two, two separate things, but they're connected. That I hope I say, what I say will be in keeping in God's will, but also in keeping with God's will for us. And that is my prayer. And I hope that this uh, will resonate, uh, resonate with you. This sermon actually started last September. I know that's a long time to work on a sermon. Uh, but it started last September. Last September, I personally was having a little bit of a difficult time. Uh, I just uh, felt tired. I just felt uh, not being able to get things done. It's a little bit like pushing a rope or herding cats. It just felt like around every corner there was something to get in the way of accomplishing things. And so, uh, quite frankly, you know, I, I just had, had listened to too many things being said to me. Things like, uh, that will never happen. Or things like, you're just dreaming. Or, uh, you know, I can't, I want, I never, I won't. All those things were beginning to have a little bit of an impact upon me. And that was me. And then some things... Anyway, some things started popping up that, you know, that helped me see through some of those things. And I needed something. And as God sometimes does, he places things right in front of us. And if we but open our eyes, open our ears, and pay attention, we can see things more clearly. And that's when I began the thoughts for today's sermon. So today's sermon is a compilation of those thoughts that all brought me to where I'm in today. That's when I felt strengthened. That's when I felt emboldened. That's when I felt empowered. And that's when I felt more energetic. That's when I began to look at God's purpose for me and for us instead of being doubtful. You may have heard me say during many shepherds' blessings during that time, quoting Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably uh, more than all we ask or imagine. Remember that word imagine. According to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I praise his name and give him the glory and honor for all that follows. Okay. So what did he show? First, Esther chapter 4. You heard Justin talk about this verse a few weeks ago, and uh, fortunately the slides are working this week, uh, thanks to uh, Randall making sure that they're going to do. But Esther chapter 4, and and I heard this sermon, but I want to zero in on verse 14. 
For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Okay, what's happening? Uh, uh, Mordecai has gone to Esther. She's the, the queen, and, it, and the king has ordered really the annihilation, destruction, steal of all the Jews. And he's asked her to go to the king. Mordecai's asked Esther to go to the king and speak to her. She says, I can't do that, because if I do that, and he doesn't raise his royal scepter, he'll kill me. Even though I'm the queen. And he tells her these two things. Well, understand, God's will is still going to be done whether you do it or not. And second thing, how do you not know that you were put in this position to do this at this particular time? That's a tough question to get past. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. But that, brothers and sisters, is a tough question. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time. I'll tell you who knows. God does. Everything in your life, everything in your life, every experience you have had, every person you have interacted with, every job, every boss, everything, he has prepared you for a specific task. Mordecai says God doesn't have to use you but he has prepared you for this. I once had a boss that told me in a very condemning manner, manner that, you know, you base all your decisions on the experiences that you've had. I go, think about that. I go, uh, what? We are what we are. The experiences that we have have brought us to this point. Those things, all the examples, you are uniquely prepared Uh, If you believe that God is active in your life, if you believe that God is active in your life, then you have to believe, have to believe that we are here because we are called to be. There's no two ways to look at that. If you, either God is active in your life or he's not. So if you believe he's active in his life, if you pray to a God because you want him to take action and be a part of your life, if you do any of that, then you also have to believe that we are called, that he has prepared us and called us to be in a position that we are. If he's either active or not. Every example you've had uh, of the family that you live as, uh, as an elder, have served in elders in two, two different congregations. One, I had a particularly 180-degree roll out from the role that I have here. God prepared me for that in a unique way. Each one of us are uniquely prepared for the task at home. And the one that prepared you for the task is the one that you will support you through it. So do it. So when you don't think that you have what it takes, when you don't think you have what it takes, think again. Well, I could stop right here. That should be enough. But that wasn't the only thing I heard. I heard this sermon on Esther chapter 4. We were away on a trip and we heard a sermon on if we were a bowl, what kind of bowl would you pick for yourself? Now, first you have to visualize yourself as being a bowl. How elegant, ornate, valuable, magnificent it would be. But then we find out that we're just jars of clay in ordinary, everyday, just 
everyone else jar of clay. But a jar of clay that can't be broken. And because we are that jar of clay, and by what we house inside of us in that jar, we are commanded. Yes, we are commanded to be in the ministry of reconciliation. They're in the same passage there in Corinthians. That's our calling. How it's done or what you play, what part you play is is negotiable, but the overall ministry is not. And this led me today to today's text. Now, I could have stopped right here, but there's more. You know, uh, uh, this led me to this text that that Rick read for us. And I'm just going to go back and look at a couple of verses. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you are not sown and gathering where you are not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. When I first thought about this sermon, I thought I might get some of our um, young men to act out this verse as it was being read. Because I think the visual... It'd be impactful. And I see a man standing right here with some bags of gold and he has five to one and he goes over here and he goes to work on it. And two, and then one over here just comes over here. He hides this bag of gold behind here. And I just envision sitting over here and just crawling up and hiding and just afraid of what's going to happen. I didn't do it, but I just kind of did. He hid it. See, here's what it belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I'm not sown and gather where I'm not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put your money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back. Let's look at this third person closely. By the way, when I heard this, I began to meditate a lot on this parable, on this passage and uh, we're told in, in Psalms on a two or three different occasions, less, correct me if I'm wrong, it's at least more than that, that we are to meditate on his word. It's a bunch of times, right, Les? We're also told in, in the New Testament, just in case you don't think we should do it because it's only in the Old Testament, we're told in the New Testament, it says, study to show thyselves approved. Now, study, we sometimes think that just means study, but meditation is important. Meditation doesn't sit, mean that I sat in a room and I hummed and I thought, but I kept this passage in front of my mind all the time. So I, I, I would just remind myself and, and clearly think about that. And that's the meditation that I see that we get a value from this. I brought it to my mind almost daily. In other words, I searched the scripture for its application to me and us. Okay, person three. He knows the master. He knows who he is. He knows he is the master. But in knowing, he became afraid. And what's he afraid of? Now, we don't know how long the master was gone, but the funds doubled. Here's your math financial tip of the day. There's an easy way to know how long, what interest rate if it doubles. I know Jack knows that he knows this immediately. It's called the rule of 72. And the rule of 72 is, if you want to double your money in 10 years, what interest rate do you have to have? You take 72, divide by 10, is 7.2 years. So in, at 10%, you'll double your money in 7.2 years, right? 
right? It's called a rule of 72. So we don't know how long these, the master was gone, but they doubled their money. Now, if they doubled their money and they invested it with the, with the bankers just to get interest, in today's rate would be about 1%. I know in the 80s it would have been about 6 or 7%. We don't know. But let's say it was 10% that he could have got interest in the money. That's being gone 7.2 years. Was he gone 7.2 years? I don't know. That's a long time to be gone on a journey. Maybe, maybe so. If it was 1%, he was gone 72 years. If it was 5%, he was gone about 14 years. Anyway, was he gone that long? And, and uh, I'll uh, come back to that. It seems like a long time. I don't think he was gone. And if you think less, if you think he probably wasn't gone 14 years, which would be the average, then they had to do more than just put it in a bank. Okay? And that's what kept coming back to me. He told him, and I look at it this way, the least you could have done was put it in a bank and gain interest. The least you could have done. And that's what I see in this passage. But he was afraid. What did his fear cause him to do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why would somebody entrust their assets with, with you to take someplace else if you're going to do nothing with them? Why? How many of us have a financial advisor? How many of us have a, a banker that we know that we go in? Would we give them money of ours to use and we expect nothing in return? Sometimes we lose, but no. And why would you give your assets? Why would you give something of value to somebody just so they could hide it? I could do that. Or just so they could put it in a bank. I could do that. He wanted these people to do it. So he hid it. I picture this person sitting in a corner looking over the field where it was buried, scared stiff that someone might find it, spent the whole time in fear that could not be abated. If it's 14 years, if it's five years, however many, spent the whole time fearful that somebody was going to find that money and steal it. And what a terrible way to live. A terrible way to live in complete fear that somebody's going to find out. And it couldn't be abated. And what was he labeled as a result of this cowardice? He wasn't labeled a coward. He was labeled wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy. And in my meditation, in my thought in this passage, I come to believe this statement of what he could have done is regarded as the bare minimum. I, mean, I see it's the least you could have done at collected, collected interest. I get that from this. One step up from bearing the money. One step up from putting it in the mattress. One step up from hiding it is putting it in a savings account and making it in today's terms about 1%. Maybe. I want to step out a second. Leave that there. Come over here. Sometimes, another sermon I've had running in my mind for 20 years, I haven't done it yet, is the difference between uncomfortable 
and comfortable. And I thought about putting chairs up here. And over here, I'd put a big easy chair. We lean back in, you know, and look. Right here, I'd put a, uh, a bench, you know, that's on, you know, like on the side of a soccer field or baseball field or football field with the players. And over here, I'd put a workout table, okay? This one's real comfortable. This is the one I like to sit in. This is the one I actually sleep probably more than I watch TV. Uh, if you listen to my wife, I will fall asleep in this one. This one, I'm not in the game. I'm watching the game, but I'm not in it. And over here, I'm working. I'm working out. I'm doing it. What hit me about this, and these are words you've heard me say in some shepherd's blessing, that I am compelled not asked, A-S-K-E-D, not requested, not suggested, not wished for. I am compelled to use my talents and resources for God's purpose. Now, you can only follow this line of thinking if you believe that what you have and are are from God. You can only follow that line of thinking if you believe what you have and what you are from God. That's not what I believe. I believe everything I have is from God. I believe everything is a gift from Him. And so, for that reason, I feel compelled. But if you do, you're in the same position as these three. These three people. I could have stopped right there. Maybe that was enough. But about this time, I saw a video uh, from a guy named Francis Chan. And if you don't know him, you should Google some of his videos. As if I needed more convincing, this puts some icing on the cake. So I'd like for us to watch this video while I take a short break. Off the team, whatever. You know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead, the only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra, and then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine, this is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to... Um, you know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, 
I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. The third person in the parable talents had that fear. We all at some level have this fear. But I'm telling you, I don't want to stand in front of God and, and, and put my, I love the Olympics by the way, and go, whoa, that was real safe of you. I don't want that. The third person of the talents had that fear. I hear the number one thing that aging people face of which I'm one in a church, is fear. Fear that something's going to change. Fear that this may not work. Fear, 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 fear. How many times are our fears unfounded? How many times must God show us that He is there to catch us? How many times do we have to see example after example of God working in our lives how many times does he have to whisper to us quietly that little nudging in the back of our head? Do something. I don't care if you fail, but try. Because if you fail, I'll be there and lift you up higher. Why are you hoarding your talents, your resources? What are you saving them for? That perfect time? Guess what? That will never come. Be careful when you say something big, when you want to accomplish something big, because there will be people that will try to distract, uh, distract you. I, this is a bonus verse. Uh, Randall, if you can pull up 1 Samuel 17, verse 28 through 30. This is a bonus. This wasn't in my script, so Randall's going to pull this one out for me. But you've got to be a little bit careful. You know, uh, that 
Okay. Uh, when Eli Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here, and with whom did you lead those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David, can I even speak? And in the next verse, uh, he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. Okay, you know the story. David's coming here to fight Goliath. He's coming down to ask questions, and his older brother starts to engage him in a conversation that really has nothing to do with why he's there. And David's response was... And he went on back to doing. So you got to be careful sometimes when you're looking out to push something big because some things get away. Say out loud what you're afraid of. Try that. Say it out loud. Okay, well, fast forward to today. There are so many, so many good things happening here at this congregation. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. In fact, it's like playing golf. You never, you never win the game of golf. You just keep playing, striving to be better, enjoying it along the way. And that's what we need to be doing, striving to be better and enjoying it along the way. In a few months, maybe a year, we'll have a brand new tool right outside this building. And uh, I understand one of the latest hang-ups on getting forward on that was uh, interpretation of the code and whether or not we need sprinklers in the building or not. Uh, and that's what's holding it up. And I would just want to say, we're Church of Christ. We have a baptistry. So, get that. I didn't know if that was, you know, but anyway. Thank you, Colby. Thank you. In a few months, maybe a year, we'll have this building out here. And you know what would be great about this? Um, and, and, I, and I'm going to embarrass her and I don't mean to embarrass her way back in the early common ground meetings uh, Carrie Durst spoke up in the meeting and she said well you know when we built this building here she said we just had the mindset that if we build it people will come and, and that didn't really work out and we can't do that again and I made a promise to Terry that day out loud in public and when you say things in public you know, yeah, it just makes it, you know, I said, we'll do everything we can to not do that this time. So wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if right now you're sitting out there and you go, know, I've got talent of organizing. I've got talent of vision. I've got talent of ideas. And what if I gathered some people around me within my peer group, because we kind of think alike, that we started working on now and how we can use that tool to reach people. Wouldn't that be great if you do it? So maybe you're part of the 49ers, and maybe that will be a part of the meeting that, and you're planning me. Maybe you're part of the faith builders class. Maybe you're part of the, of the youth ministry. Maybe you're part of those that are, don't fit in any of those groups yet or need to form another group. But wouldn't that be great if we did that? And then maybe, just maybe, someone with similar skills looks at your peer group and says, you know what, I can do that. And they begin the process, and it repeats itself over and over and over. Each working independently, but singularly focused on our mission here. Then, and only then, can we leap off the balance beam and wait for the judges to rule. We have to move forward. 
For me, I am felt empowered that God had chosen me to be in the place that I am. Guess what? He's chosen you too. And there's more good news. That's pretty big good news, but there's more good news. What I haven't done in the past, it's gone. It's forgotten. It doesn't matter. What only matters is what we do from this point forward. That is why you have heard me say in a a few shepherds' blessing, I am compelled to plan and use God's resources, whether financial, talents, skills, whatever, and to tamp down the fear and place fear where it belongs in the not doing. I have one final thing before I get into my closing I want to bring up. Uh, it's an interesting, I discovered this just a while back. And go ahead, uh, Randall, if you can pull up the next slide. This was an excerpt from a John F. Kennedy speech. Uh, it said, this country is moving and it must not stop. It cannot stop, for this is a time for courage and a time for challenge. Neither conformity nor complacency will do. Interesting thing, and I believe this about John F. Kennedy, he probably wouldn't fit in anybody's party today if he was, if he was uh, uh, in the climate that we're at. This was in a a speech in 1966. What did I do? Okay. I thought I did something wrong. Now, the interesting thing, this was supposed to be delivered in late November in 1966 in Austin, Texas, the day after JFK was assassinated. So he never delivered this. Never delivered this. But I believe we could put church in there as well. This church is moving and it must not stop. I'll change that. God's church is moving and it must not stop. It cannot stop. For this is a time for courage and a time for challenge. Neither conformity nor complacency will do. I think you can put church in there as well. Okay. Being afraid. Being afraid stops us from doing so much. So I ask you to challenge yourself to push yourself, uh, to go back, to trust yourself and God, to use your resources, your talents, gifts, thoughts, plans, expressions. Use them without fear of making a mistake because we can and will make mistakes. We can and will make mistakes. If you don't ever make a mistake, you're not trying about Six or seven years ago, in the elders, we were talking about, well, Sunday night attendance, and this is kind of before we made a push for small groups. said, what's one thing we could do? So we went to having a singing on the fourth Sunday night. Some of you may remember that. That was an idea. Didn't, didn't work. Didn't work, okay? But the point is, failure is okay. It's okay to make a mistake. Otherwise, all we're doing is trying to find it when it's perfect. All we're doing is trying to wait till we know it can't fail. And those opportunities ra- rarely happen. Quit looking, uh, for, quit looking for mistakes on the negative side and imagine. There's that word again. Those aren't my words. That's uh, Paul in, the, in Ephesians. There's that word again, imagine what God can and do through you and us and the long list of things he has given us. us. Have you ever just listed them out, the things that he's given you? Okay, one last fear I want to talk about is fear of commitment. And 
as I close this morning, I hope in some way that these passages and this video has impacted you the way that it's impacted me, that it's, it's given me a renewing spirit. But sometimes we have this fear of commitment, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this this morning. And if, Randall, if you pull up Romans 6, verse 3 through 5. Uh, or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of our Father, we too may live a life. And then the key verse, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This, in case you don't know, this is a mathematical statement. Those that are math majors see it right away. If this is true, then this is true, right? There's an equal sign in the middle. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. There's an equal sign in the middle. Do this, this happens. In math, they have what's called the contrapositive. The contrapositive, all you math majors know what I'm talking about. The contrapositive, if the, this is true, then the opposite is also true. That's more scary. If we have not been united with him, then we will, in, in, in his death like this, then we will certainly not be united with him in a resurrection. That's more scary. So this morning, I hope it's been meaningful to you, but I also hope that your fear of commitment, of putting on your Lord and Savior in baptism, goes away as well. If you just, I just don't want to do that in front of, 300 of your closest friends, see me afterwards. See any one of the elders. See less afterwards. And we'll do it in a private way. But don't let the contrapositive be true. I appreciate your attention and your kind uh, attention to what I said this morning. And again, I hope and pray that in some way it's meant to you. And if there's any way that this congregation or I or we can be of help of any way, please come as we stand our closing. Uh, Singer.